0: Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, DC, brought straight to you.
1: Welcome and thank you for joining us. As we have the discussion today, please send your questions throughout the chat So we can have an opportunity to respond later in the program. In Fulton versus Philadelphia, the Supreme Court found that the city of Philadelphia violated the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment by refusing to contract with Catholic Social Services for the provision of foster care services, unless the agency agreed to certify same-sex couples for foster parents. The court stated that Catholic Social Services sought only an accommodation to continue serving the children of Philadelphia in a manner consistent with its beliefs. It does not seek to impose those beliefs on anyone else. Here today to examine the implications of this ruling for religious freedom, religious pluralism, and faith-based social services, we have a distinguished panel of experts. First, we will hear from Lori Wyndham, Senior Counsel at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. She is the attorney who represented Catholic Social Services and three foster parents at Oral Argument. Then we will hear from Roger Severino, Senior Fellow and Director of the HHS Accountability Project at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. And finally, we will hear from Catherine Tun Lopez, Senior Fellow and Director of the Center for Religion, Culture, and Civil Society at the National Review Institute. And now I'd like to welcome Lori on screen to give us her thoughts on the ruling. Lori? Emily, thank you so much for hosting
2: this event and thank you so much for uh everyone for joining. This is a huge victory for religious freedom and for religious foster and adoption agencies nationwide, and I'm happy to be here today to talk about that. So so a few takeaways from the opinion as you're looking at this and looking at what the Supreme Court has done. The first thing, as Emily has already discussed, is the fact that this is unanimous. Uh, in a case that created a lot of public controversy and a lot of comment, the Supreme Court justices were able to come together and agree that what Philadelphia did here was wrong, that they should not have excluded Catholic social services from their foster care system, and that, in fact, there are common sense solutions that can allow religious agencies to continue to serve and do their good work and do not mean that same sex couples and LGBTQ families do not have options within the system. They've had those options before, and they continue to have them today. Uh, this is a solution that means more homes and more families for children in Philadelphia. We're very glad to see that. Uh, This case arrived at the court because we had Catholic Social Services of Philadelphia, uh, two courageous foster moms, Tony Sims Bush and Sharon L. Fulton. They're both single women of color who have fostered and adopted children through Catholic Social Services, and could not understand why it was that Philadelphia would come in and try and shut down an agency that had meant so much to them and to their families, and had done so much to serve children in the city of Philadelphia. They were also joined by Cecilia Paul, who dedicated her life to foster care and adoption. She sadly passed away uh, while this case was pending after having fostered more than 100 children in her home. The powerful testimony to the amazing work that Catholic Social Services is doing and to what the families it supports are doing. I want to touch uh, for a moment on a couple of the aspects of this decision that I think are going to be important and very helpful going forward. Uh, First, as many of you know, the Supreme Court said that what happened in Philadelphia violated the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. And where Philadelphia had gone wrong here is that it had a system of individualized exemptions, it had discretion in the system, it could bend the rules for others, but it was not willing to accommodate Catholic social services. And the fact that Philadelphia had that system uh, showed that there are other options available, that it is not necessary to shut down Catholic social services. Uh, I think that's a very important ruling, uh, and obviously for my own clients, but also for all those who are working in the child welfare space. Uh, This is a system that is set up with a high degree of discretion, with a high degree of individualized decision-making on the part of government actors. You're talking about looking at a child's life, looking at a family's life, and trying to make decisions about what is best for that child, what is best for that family, um, what family a child needs to be placed with. And so the features of Philadelphia's system that allowed Uh, government officials to bend the rules or to uh, engage in these kind of case by case determinations are not at all unusual in fact I would say in my experience in litigating these cases they're quite common uh, because it's important for government officials to be able to have discretion so that they're able to make sure they're making the best decision available uh, for children and for families when they're doing foster care and adoption Um, the next thing the court said Uh, which to us was important and very interesting. It was something we had been saying all along, is that foster care is not a public accommodation um you know we're all familiar with public accommodations laws and non-discrimination provisions in there and what happened in philadelphia is that when there was a newspaper story about catholic social services policy uh, and this did come about because of a newspaper story there had been no same-sex couple who'd actually approached them asking for a foster care certification Um, but because their policy that they would refer the couple and help them find another agency was reported in the news the city of philadelphia decided to crack down The problem is they couldn't identify what Catholic social services had done wrong. And so they pointed to the city's public accommodation ordinance, but foster care had never before been treated as a public accommodation within the city of Philadelphia, which when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. Uh, This is a very discretionary system. You're talking about home studies, the purpose of which is to screen people out. It's not like, as the court said, going to get a cup of coffee or a train ticket where you just go pay your money and you expect it to be given to you. Um, This system is actually dependent upon making a lot of very personal um, determinations about a family and about a home and whether it's suitable for children and what children should be placed there. And so it's important to note Uh, When you're thinking about foster care and adoption and child welfare, this is not a public accommodation. And so I think that's a very important part of the ruling, not just for Catholic Social Services of Philadelphia, but for other religious foster and adoption providers as well. What we've seen time and again in these kinds of cases is it's usually not the legislature saying, you know what, we want to go crack down on the religious foster and adoption agencies. We're going to pass a law to do that. Instead, what we see are we see bureaucrats and government officials saying something's got to be done about this. They rifle through the laws. They find an existing law and say, oh, nobody knows that's what that meant, but that's what that meant. And so you're a public accommodation. You violated the law and we can crack down on you now. Uh, and so having this ruling in place saying that foster care is not a public accommodation, that it doesn't carry, have the kind of features that you normally expect to see within a public accommodation, I think is helpful uh, not only to my clients, but outside Philadelphia as well. Um, the last thing that the court said about this, which I think is incredibly powerful going forward, is that Philadelphia could not pass strict scrutiny here. Um, Because they had some individualized exemption in their system they did have to uh, meet the highest level of legal scrutiny if they wanted to exclude Catholic social services and they weren't able to do that. Um, because they did have other options available and because, as the court said, it appeared there would actually be more homes for children if Catholic Social Services was allowed to continue serving. Uh, I think this was especially important because a lot of the arguments that we heard from the other side and, in fact, what we saw in the Third Circuit's decision below, was that any time the government points to a non-discrimination interest or an equality interest, they ought to automatically win and pass strict scrutiny. And the Supreme Court rejected that argument, not because non-discrimination and equality aren't important, it affirmed that they are, Uh, but because it's not enough to just say, I have this general interest, and so therefore I win. In fact, what the courts are saying you need to do is go and look more closely at the circumstances of the case. Does this interest in this particular circumstance actually trump the interest in religious freedom? Or are there other alternatives? If there is another way to achieve your goals without restricting religious freedom, then the government has to take that option. Uh, And that was the option that was available to Philadelphia here prior to 2018 when all this started. The system was functioning well. Catholic Social Services was out there partnering with women like Sharonel and Tony and Cecilia, doing great work, finding homes for children. And same-sex couples who wanted to foster in Philadelphia were able to do so just as they are today. There were more than 20 agencies who were partnering with them, and in fact, there were three agencies who had special expertise in serving LGBTQ families. And so this was a system that was functioning. It was not necessary to go and exclude religious providers in order to achieve Philadelphia's goals. Uh, and the Supreme Court recognized that, and I think it's it's fair to say that all nine justices would agree uh, with that formulation. So I think that's incredibly powerful to have uh, going forward, both for Catholic Social Services and for other ministries as well, to realize that this does not have to be a zero sum game, uh, that in fact they can continue their great work and continue to serve. Um, I do want to leave us some time for for questions here. And you've got two great panelists uh, you're going to be hearing from. But I just wanted to wrap up quickly by saying that um, this decision came as an enormous relief to Sharonel, to Tony, to Catholic Social Services. It's been a long fight. It's been three years since the city of Philadelphia said they were no longer going to allow any children to be placed with any families who worked with Catholic Social Services and so for the supreme court unanimously to say no philadelphia you got this one wrong this was not the right approach here Uh, that's a huge relief and weight off their shoulders Um, it's powerful going forward and um, it's a great relief to know that they're able now uh, and i hope very soon will be able to welcome more foster children into those homes and continue their great work and so i'll stop there and uh, turn things over to our next speaker
1: Thank you so much, Laurie, and congratulations again. And now I'm delighted to welcome our next speaker, Roger Severino, who has quite a bit of experience, not only in religious freedom, but specifically in this area of protecting faith-based adoption and foster care since when he was at HHS. As the director of the Office of Civil Rights, he crafted a rule that would have protected faith-based foster care and adoption. And he also has an article in the National Review about the decision in Fulton. So Roger, please tell us about the implications of Fulton for law and policy.
0: Yeah, of course, thank you, Emily. And congratulations to the Beckett Fund and Lori Windham. This was hard fought. And 9-0 sends a tremendous message. It's, It's rare to get a unanimous decision in a controversial case. And this one was of course controversial, all religious freedom cases are, Um, but it was to send a message, I believe. And the message was clear that people of faith who take a position that runs contrary to some of the prevailing cultural winds on sexual orientation and gender identity should not be labeled as bigots and excluded from participation in public life. That was a 9 to 0 message that was sent that included the conservatives and the liberals on the court. There was no counter-argument even made or attempted by any of the justices on these points. They said this was a clear instance where government had to simply back off and create space for this foster care and adoption agency. <clears throat> In terms of the broader context, what we're seeing here, Emily mentioned that I had worked on foster care and adoption at HHS. I was head of the civil rights office. Where we stood up a conscience and religious freedom division, we issued two protections under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, one for the state of South Carolina and another for Texas, as to whether or not religious foster care and adoption agencies could operate according to their beliefs about marriage and family. This is a fundamental question that affects everybody. What is one's view of human flourishing, all these basic questions and can you receive in this case federal funds from the government to participate in it to think about where we got to the point where this became a conflict was the start at the beginning foster care and adoption was really the province of religious organizations for much of American history as the state grew and took over more and more aspects of social service then you started to have these religious freedom conflicts and there's a big lesson here The more government grows, the more you're going to run into religious liberty conflicts, unless there's a check, that check is primarily the First Amendment. We have a free exercise clause that doesn't guarantee just freedom of worship or freedom of belief. It's not something that's just simply what you do within the four walls of a church or synagogue on a Saturday or a Sunday, but what you take with you into the workplace, into the public square. Free exercise is protected. After the Employment Division versus Smith decision of 1990, that was now pared back dramatically. Free exercise was turned into a non-discrimination principle that you cannot target religion for disfavor. The Smith decision was in fact a bureaucrat's best friend because as we had the scope of government grow and invade more areas of public life, bureaucrats were able to say, under the Smith decision, all we, all we have to say is the rules are the rules. If the rules say one thing, it doesn't matter if it burdens religion, it, it burdens everybody, and so what if it really burdens somebody of faith or a religious organization to the point where they can't really operate anymore. And the dissent, I'm sorry, the concurrence of Alito in the Fulton case put out so many examples of where this would be the case. So when there was prohibition, alcohol consumption was illegal but they put in a specific exemption for communion wine which catholic church and other churches use now under the smith decision they didn't have to put in such an exemption you imagine the burden that would be on so many people of faith where they could not engage in their sacrament that they've done for centuries and that is a problem that was not really faced up by smith smith said well don't worry about it the bureaucrats will do the right thing." you're gonna have enough public pressure so that religious freedom and exercise will be respected. That was proven to be flat out wrong. As we had certain, certain cultural conflicts on many different uh, schema. For example, Obamacare was one example where government grew and grew in the area of healthcare. And all of a sudden you had the government saying, the Little Sisters of the Poor have to provide contraceptives through their insurance for fellow nuns because the rules are the rules, and they would brook no exceptions. So we had that example where it had to go all the way up to the Supreme Court to get protection. Um, On issues of the uh, fundamental understanding of family and human flourishing, we're having the same conflict rise again. So you had bureaucrats saying that bakers are forced to use their skills in baking custom cakes to celebrate same-sex weddings. That was the masterpiece cake shop. Again, went up to the Supreme Court, and you had to get protection there. The Fulton decision is saying the first step in saying enough is enough. Right? It's not all the way there, but because it was a unanimous, the unanimous decision, we're seeing greater respect for religious freedom. Hopefully, we're going to see those bakers not being hounded anymore because of their views on family. Hopefully, we're going to see these religious foster care and adoption agencies not kicked to the curb. And said you're not welcome here anymore because of your views on family and marriage. It remains to be seen if the bureaucrats down the line are gonna get the message. And there's been a lot of discussion as to: well, you didn't have a unanimous ruling overturning the Smith decision, right? You still have this pressure where the bureaucrats will have the upper hand in some cases. I don't I don't see that. I think the Smith decision is on life support. What you're going to see is more cases that go up to the Supreme Court are going to be victories for religious freedom and Smith is going to shrink more and more as the years go by. Um, That is a tremendous victory on an issue of incredible concern and controversy. Now, you're going to see the laws on uh, sexual orientation and gender identity continue to proliferate in some places, especially in localities. It is not at the federal level. The Equality Act has so far not become law. But one important thing to realize is the Equality Act, as currently conceived, uh, being pushed by the Democrats in Congress, would carve out the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, some of these protections that are beyond the First Amendment, which makes it so important that the First Amendment be restored to its proper place. If something like the Equality Act ever were to pass, we would need to have that religious liberty protection as a fail-safe. Uh, There are many policy reasons why you shouldn't. Again, the more government grows, the more of these social conflicts you'll have. Uh, While you could still treat people, uh, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity with respect, you don't need blunt entrance of a law that would end up infringing on religious freedom. So I'm very encouraged by what Fulton has provided for us. It has opened the door quite wide to push back on the growth of the administrative state when it burdens people's religious expression and that is what free exercise of religion under the First Amendment is all about.
1: Thank you so much, Roger. That was an excellent um, discussion of the implications of the ruling for future uh, rules and for future laws. Now I'm gonna turn to our friend, Catherine Jean Lopez, who I believe is going to join us by phone to discuss the social implications of the Fulton decision. Catherine has done extensive work on faith-based foster care and adoption. And I welcome you to join us now, Catherine.
3: Oh, thank you so much, Emily. And thanks to everyone for rolling with some technical issues here. Um, I am uh, so grateful that we could um, do this event because it's so important. Um, first of all, uh, Lori and Roger are American heroes and they're, they're the kind of people who are doing, uh, tremendous work that, uh, don't make headlines necessarily all the time. And that's probably for the best. Um, uh, but we're so grateful that, um, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously. And, um, Emily, when we put this together, we thought it was important to have unanimous in the title of the event because this is, this is a sign of hope. You know, the, the city of Philadelphia overreached and sona Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, everybody could see that it was It was as clear as day, and as you heard, you know not many people paid attention to relatively speaking the oral arguments because it was the morning after the election. um but for those of us who were listening in, it was so obvious that that the court the court got it um you know we have we have a crisis of of in foster care in the city of Philadelphia as we do um all over the country. And as Philadelphia said, we need more um, people stepping up to the plate, they said, but but not you. And as has been commented before, there was no gay couple that, that files a complaint. This was purely ideological. And the reason I think that it should give us some hope is because for those of us who have been talking about religious freedom and talking about the faith-based entities that will be hurt, therefore, the vulnerable people who will be hurt if we, uh, continue to go down a path of narrowing religious liberty, here is a case where, you know, it's really important to rewind to the beginning of June. Because at the beginning of June, there was commentary based on Pride Month, um, warning justices that they, they should not rule against gay rights. Well, guess what they didn't, right? This case was not about gay rights. It was about religious liberty and it was about the children and families who Catholic social services serve and in every case where you have people trying to pick gay rights against religious liberty it's children who are suffering I think it's really important that people take a look at the plaintiffs in this case um, there is a beautiful op-ed that that's Karen L Fulton and Tony Sims Bush wrote in the Wall Street Journal last week and it, It is a portrait, Emily, in Black Lives Matter. You know, these women are saving the lives of, in most cases, young black men um, and and, uh, young black children who are raised to be men. And we've heard some of the testimonies. um, And uh, there's no reason, no reason, no reason for the government to cut the legs off of um, entities like Catholic Social Services. So, noting that. The Supreme Court unanimously saw the overreach. I think that this should be a sign of hope and give people some confidence and courage. You know, we do have places where we can still find common ground. That's what the Supreme Court case says. And so for for people who have been feeling timid, this this is a a time to support our Catholic social services, support the kinds of entities that do this important frontline work and frankly emily you 've heard me say this a, a, a lot. I think it should be a challenge to those of us who call ourselves pro life um, because this this is a crucial making sure that that children are in homes and and permanent families and getting those families the support that they need that 's absolutely something that that pro life Americans need to consider a priority and so there are so many layers of this religious freedom. Um, uh, charity, you know. Um, and and um, finally, I really think that, again, if we we're living in a country that has such disunion, right, such hostility, especially on these cultural issues, this case is about pluralism. Um, and, you know, as we're approaching Independence Day, right, you got your flags out and everything, what what is this about what is this country about this country is about being able to have foster care agencies that serve same-sex couples have foster care agencies that live by catholic social teaching we don't have to pit these against one another we don't have to eliminate one or the other this is a case where we need all hands on deck and so it delights me when you when you see people like Walter Olsen from the Cato Institute. He's married to a man they've adopted internationally. He says the Catholic Church needs to be in this space. Well, thanks be to God. this is the best of America, right? When we can have fundamental differences, but we can still you know fight for one another's rights in in this in this space. And you know obviously, in this particular case, You know, Lori can tell you some horror stories about you know children that they were aware of who were not getting homes, getting into homes, and not getting the services they need because because of what Philadelphia did in this overreach. But again, thankfully, it was noted as overreach by the Supreme Court unanimously. And so I really think this is this is a a great way for us to be able to go forward and have some hope that in a country again that's so divided, we can help the most vulnerable. We really can even if we, we adults don't agree on everything.
1: Thank you, Catherine. Um, thank you for bringing us back to uh, the human impact of this incredible ruling. It really is a win, not only for religious freedom and people of faith, but for all Americans because all Americans are served by um, religious organizations and, and helped by religious freedom. So now I wanna turn to some of the audience questions. A reminder, please keep sending in your questions through the chat function. Uh, The first question I want to focus um, on the children. So there are over, and Lori, please feel free to join us back on screen. Um, There are over 400,000 children in America still in foster care waiting for a forever family. In Pennsylvania, I believe there are over 13,000 will this decision mean that more faith-based foster care and adoption agencies will be able to operate, including those that have been um, excluded in other states that had um, similar laws on non-discrimination and that were interpreted in the same way that Philadelphia interpreted their law? Uh,
2: yes, is the short answer here. I think that, first of all, the Fulton decision provides protection for agencies who currently are at risk of shutdown um, or attempts similar to what Philadelphia tried with Catholic Social Services. Um, and I am hopeful that what we will see going forward is that we have agencies in some of these places who were forced to close, who are now able to uh, to reopen the fact that uh, the supreme court has unanimously said that it's not necessary for uh, cities and governments to go around shutting down these agencies is powerful and i believe that the legal protections here are stronger so i'm hopeful that we're going to see more homes for children going forward
1: wonderful and we also have put a heritage paper into the chat which shows that those states that had, adopt, had passed laws to protect faith-based agencies saw an increase in the number of families that were willing to foster And so that bodes very well for the social outcome of this decision. Another question from the audience, and this is to any of you, how broad is the scope of the Fulton decision? Was it, quote unquote, narrowly decided?
0: So we had the same question with the masterpiece cake shop decision. The overarching message is that it was unanimous, and to get unanimity and get all the liberals on board, they had to reach a position of common ground. Um, Some people would have liked to see Smith overruled outright. But as I mentioned, Smith is on life support, because you already had six members of the court say that it should be revisited, essentially. Three would have done it already. Three others concurred, including Breyer, saying that they're convinced that it has problems. And that's why I said it's opening the door wide. This is the beginning of, I think, a sea change in the jurisprudence of the court. And just as we saw with Masterpiece Cake Shop, you combine it with this one, it, it's an overarching tide is coming in where no longer are you going to say that people who have religious beliefs about marriage being the union of a man and a woman can be labeled bigots and excluded. Um, we're gonna see more of these cases, I believe, because I think there are, are forces out there that are seeking to be uh, offended, essentially. Uh, Jack Phillips of the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision, he won on sexual orientation. Now they're going after him for gender identity, trying to force him to bake a cake, celebrating transgenderism, right? I think he's gonna win that case. I think he's gonna win. Um, when it when it comes up to the Supreme Court, and I think that's what the trend is going to be going forward.
3: Emily, can I just add? I'm not a lawyer, um, and I love Sam Alito, who who was not happy about this decision. Um, but um, but I think in terms of public awareness, this was just so crucial that it be unanimous. And so I'll take the narrow. Um, I think I think it's really important to you know. I often think that foster care is like the military in as much as like if you're not involved in it you sort of don't know about it right and um this this case is such an opportunity for us to celebrate people like Sharon L. Fulton and Tony Sims Bush and um get to know what they're doing and what the need is so I I'll take I'll take the unanimous um for uh for uh, the opportunities that it, it gives us to really make use of this case in terms of public awareness. I, I think
2: that's that's beautifully said. Just to add a, a couple of additional thoughts here, you know, if you look at what the Supreme Court has done recently, um, you have the Fulton decision, you have the Masterpiece decision saying you can't just flat out discriminate. You also have the decisions that in the COVID cases, which say essentially, look, if you're going to make exceptions for other activities, you're going to have to show us you have a compelling interest in cracking down on religious exercise. Uh, and so I think when you take the, the power of those three sets of decisions together, what you see is that there are many attempts to crack down on religious freedom now uh, that are going to be very difficult to get those to stand up in court.
1: Great. Well, another issue that came up in this case was the assertion that the support of marriage between one man and one woman is somehow similar to the opposition to interracial marriage. Um, That came up in the oral argument. And uh, there was some discussion about the Obergefell versus Hodges decision that redefined marriage and how the court in that case Justice Kennedy writing for the majority, distinguished between uh, support for marriage between a man and a woman and opposition to interracial marriage. Um, Would one of you or more than one of you like to comment on how Fulton relates to uh, this discussion and this comparison? I I
0: would say it was the dog that didn't bark. Normally when you have religious freedom and LGBT issues butting up against each other, the LGBT side will always pull the race card and say, well, we we treat racists like they deserve, like bigots, and this is no different. Not a single voice on the Supreme Court raised the race analogy, not one. I think that's incredibly important because if you combine this, as Laurie said, with all the other decisions that have been coming down, we're really seeing a, a movement to make sure that every attack on religious believers on these questions of human flourishing are being protected by the Supreme Court. And I think it was very encouraging to see that that was indeed an argument that wasn't even raised by the liberals on the court.
1: Okay, another question for you. Um, Laura, you mentioned in the oral argument at the Supreme Court that you asked the question, um, is it going to be the I'm paraphrasing you, is it going to be the case that the free exercise clause is going to shrink every time the government steps into an area of providing services that has traditionally um, been an area that has been populated and in many ways led by private agencies. And Philadelphia had called the Catholic social services a point of light in the foster care system. So Laurie, can you unpack that line of thinking and and tell us what the court's decision means
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I think as Roger said uh, so eloquently at the beginning of his, you do need to go back to the beginning. This is something uh, that religious groups, and this is something that the Catholic Church has been doing for millennia, caring for the widow and the orphan, providing homes for children in need. Uh, You know, it was religious and private groups who first came together in Philadelphia to find homes for children. Interestingly enough, um, uh, Catholic social services, it's its your forerunner, was actually nuns who were going out finding homes for children who had been orphaned during an epidemic, a yellow fever epidemic in Philadelphia in the late 18th century. Um, and so what we see now is that government increasingly has expanded its reach into the social service sector and engaged in licensing, engaged in mandatory contracting, meaning you can't do this unless you have that contract, Um, and taking other steps to say how the system's going to run. And so I think it's very important that that those religious rights endure, uh, especially when I would say even when, but especially when you're in a system where the government has decided it's going to come in and begin to take over and try and regulate or run additional parts of the system. It can't be the case that the free exercise clause shrinks and that your rights are smaller. And I think it was really powerful here. You know, that was the primary argument that Philadelphia uh, was raising: was this idea um, that they had additional discretion, they had additional power because of the role that they play as regulator and as contractor in the system. And the Supreme Court rejected that um, with, you know, pretty pretty brief analysis, just kind of you know pushed it aside. And I think that's powerful because it shows that, as the court said, no matter the level of deference you're going to give the government, what Philadelphia did here was out of bounds. And so I think that that especially is particularly powerful uh, when you're talking about situations where religion has been there, religious organizations and people have been there providing social services, and the government wants to come in and say, no, 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 you're going to do things
1: my way now. Yes, and as Roger mentioned, we've seen that already in healthcare with the Affordable Care Act and the contraceptive mandate affecting the little sisters of the poor. We could also see it in education. There are just many, many ways in which government um, stepping into an area of social services um, could push out the traditional um, private providers unless there are protections of religious freedom. So in our closing minutes, um, would you like to each give some final thoughts to the audience on the importance of this unanimous decision? And I'll start in the order that we went in before. So Lori, why don't you go first and then Roger and Catherine.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, again, we're just so grateful the Supreme Court was able to come together and unanimously say it's important to protect foster families, religious foster agencies. Uh, I think because of the way the court structured its opinion and because of the other good religious freedom decisions we have seen recently from the court, uh, there are now much stronger protections in place for religious foster agencies, religious adoption agencies, uh, and also for other religious ministries who are going to face these challenges. The Supreme Court has pointed us on the way and pointed us in a good direction. I uh to steal Rogers line, Smith is on life support. This is good news for those of us who have been concerned about how strong the free exercise clause is going to be. Um, you know, have a majority, you now have a majority of the court saying that we need a better standard, and that's a very uh encouraging statement for what is to come in the future. Um and, and as I said at the beginning, this is important for the law, yes, but it is also important for those on the ground. When this case started, as Catherine alluded to, there were a number of sad stories. One was a story of a special needs child who had been taken from his foster home and could not be reunited with his former foster mother who loved him because of Philadelphia's shutdown. After we went into court, the city relented. Um, allowed that uh, reunification to take place. And I'm happy to say that that foster mom has now adopted that child and um, now has a forever home. And so it really speaks to the beautiful work that Catholic social services and that these families have done and the work that they're going to be able to continue.
1: Wonderful, thank you so much, Lori, And Roger, would you like to share some closing thoughts?
0: Certainly, so Philadelphia raised the argument that Catholic Social Services was discriminating under the guise of religion. That is a slanderous lie. That was rejected by the Supreme Court. There is no acting under the guise of religion in order to discriminate by these faith-based organizations. And we've seen this argument trotted out time and again that the anti-discrimination laws are out there to go against these bigoted groups that need to change their religious beliefs because they're not really sincere. Um, Religious exercise comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. Just think of the the opprobrium that people are getting when they take these stands that are unpopular. Uh, This is not a free pass for religious believers. It is allowing them space to live out their lives as their faith dictates. Kosher laws aren't easy to follow, right? They're difficult, it's tough, it it entails tremendous sacrifice on a daily basis. It is not a a form of trying to get some leg up on somebody else. If at the very least we had an equality principle that was fully in effect, um, we're getting there, especially with the COVID cases, as Lori mentioned, and we pushed very hard to say at at the civil rights uh, office at HHS, you must allow accommodation for people with disabilities during COVID to allow their support persons in hospitals we also said you must allow clergy in as well because people need to have that solace so they don't die alone we didn't say well disability rights is more important than religion and therefore it's okay for only one no if you allow one uh accommodation you should always also allow the religious one because you don't know how important that is to that person's religious beliefs Um, And again, these things come at tremendous cost to religious believers and the Fulton case is finally putting to rest that allegation that there's something else going on. People who are insincere about their religious beliefs are obvious about it. People in prison who want to start the Church of Whiskey and Steak in order to get a accommodation don't get very far. Um, because it's so blatantly obvious. But people of religious faith must be given the space to actually exercise their beliefs. That's what it means to live in a pluralistic society. And with these set of decisions from the Supreme Court and Fulton's being unanimous, I am so encouraged that it's going to be an unbroken win streak for at least the next 10 years for religious freedom.
1: Thank you, Roger. Catherine, would you like to give some closing thoughts?
3: Yeah, it's so it's such an honor to follow Laurie and Roger. And I just wanna echo um what they've been talking about. Religion is essential, religion is essential, religion is essential. And during COVID, as as Roger talked about, we sort of collectively sort of suggested that religion wasn't essential. And thanks be to God for people who fought. Um because um, you know, all all of that loneliness and suicide and things that we're hearing about now. It absolutely has to do with the fact that that um, religion was was kind of asked to take a back seat, and um, and I've I've heard people people like Cardinal Dolan say, you know, maybe maybe we should have uh, fought a little uh, more, um, a little uh, quicker, and um, so all gratitude to people uh, again like like uh, Tony Sims Bush and, and Sharon Fulton who stand up for religious liberty and and um, make us understand why this is important um you know often when we argue about these issues these contentious issues in public policy we have the luxury of not knowing the faces and the names and um the supreme court uh victory in fulton um, makes us take a look. And so I, I would hope that, you know, if you're hearing about this case or understanding it for the first time, that you um, you talk about it with people, that you really um, educate yourselves about what's going on, because more and more and more we see that when people see the details of the narrowing of religious liberty here and there, they they object to it. They see that it's overreach. Um, it's it's the caricature of religion that that people have or bad experiences um, that that lead lead us to look away from the facts on the ground, the people um, really working on the front lines. And as Tony Bush and Sarah Nell Fulton have have said. You know, when you're, you're dealing with children in foster care, you're probably dealing with trauma, and so you're going to need services. It takes a village, they read, wrote in their op-ed. So so again, we we want the good of religion in the public square, and of course, that's what our country is based on. So thanks again to Lori and to the Supreme Court, the Beckett Fund, for this this important victory and reminder that religion is essential and is worth fighting for.
1: Well, thanks to each of you, Um, to Lori, again, congratulations on this wonderful win for religious liberty, for faith-based foster care, and really for all Americans. And to Roger, thank you so much for your work, and we wish you the best on your accountability project, and thank you for the partnership of Ethics and Public Policy Center. And Catherine, thank you again for co-hosting this event with National Review Institute and the Heritage Foundation, and for all of your work on faith-based adoption and foster care. This is a fantastic unanimous win that is very common sense that is going to immediately benefit uh, children who are in a very vulnerable state. So we're delighted that you were able to join us today for this event. If you have further questions on this topic, feel feel free to contact me. And after the webinar, you will be receiving a very short survey that will help inform us about what you would like us to discuss in the public square. So again, thank you to each of our panelists and thank you to the audience for joining us today. Have a wonderful afternoon.